Welcome to episode 99C of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen, who's really enjoying the numbering system we have going on here. Hi, Courtney. He's not even being sarcastic. Hello, this is Courtney. He's not even being sarcastic. I really do love it. I have been joking with Ben that I would kind of like to just do 99 whatever. Perpetuity. Perpetuity, yeah. Yeah, or I guess it would give us only 23 more episodes, which maybe wouldn't be bad. We get closure terrible. at the end of the show. It would be. It would be, you know, it would be like, it would be like weirdly serializing. You need to have an end date when you're doing projects. This is true. We don't have one yet, though. No. For sure. We definitely don't. We're... There is no expiration date on this milk carton. We are kind of the NCIS of Ew. podcasts. I know. No we'll one be... watches NCIS except for your parents, dude. They watch it so much, and I can't stand it. Anyway, we're here in the desert. We're going to talk about what's coming up in Indian Wells and what happened in Davis Cup over the weekend. And that's about it. Let's get right to the show. We don't have much time here. Ready to go? Ready. All right. Let's start with Davis Cup. U.S. Lost. Embarrassing. Britain. Twice. Twice in a row. <laughs> James Ward. Never been top 100. Killing us. What's happening, Courtney? <laughs> oh, my word. I mean, this is really just a microcosm of the entire discussion about U.S. Americans tennis, really. I mean, I think that... You know, the, the, what's difficult to swallow for Davis Cup is that with respect to kind of like the broader issues that are affecting American men's tennis, yep. um, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, I'm more inclined to be rough on the Davis Cup results than I am to sit and say, oh, American men's tennis is dying and really chicken little about that as a broader thing. Because with, at least with respect to the last two Davis Cup losses to Great Britain in the first round, on home soil last year and then now away in Glasgow. These are bad losses because you are losing to a player who, all respect to James Ward, you played amazing, you brought it, you did your thing, you rallied from two sets down, you were great. But those are not losses that John Isner should be taking and that is not a loss that Sam Querrey should have taken last year. So that is what's disappointing. Um, I am more inclined to take this as a one-off result. Ben, are you more inclined to kind of make it a broader reading about kind of the state of the Davis Cup team? In terms of people talking about, oh, should Curry get the axe? I, mean, I don't know. Thank you for reading through the lines. That's what I, that's what, we're cutting to the chase in this episode. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, well, at the same time, like, Isner's choked. Isner's a terrible five-set record. This is on him. I don't think Davis Cup, it was like, oh, you play well for team. I kind of don't really buy into that completely. I think that you are out there by yourself. And John Isner knew what he had to do. Maybe Courier is getting out coached. That's fine. The other team has coaches too. And if Leon Smith is yeah. game planning much, much better or mid-match management much better than Courier, I will say, I think that he has to lose the suits. I think when you keep losing these bad matches, you look stupid. I think that that is such a weak criticism. This is something that Miles McCloggan said on uh, BBC or Eurosport that, you know, these US players look over and they see a guy who is like about like a Wall Street trader and not somebody who used to be one of the best battlers that uh, the US had. Um, I don't buy it. In all sports, coaches wear suits. It's it's American thing. We do it very rarely, you, especially in basketball, you see it. No, um, basketball, hockey, not so people much football, wear suits. But, um, yeah, no, it's... B- basketball, yeah. But I, I, I think that it's a weird red herring, an odd tangent to be going on. It's after. not about, for me, it's not about the, oh, Isner was, it, was, was confused by this Wall Street image on the bench. I'm saying when you wear the suit and stand up and like, oh, I'm wearing a suit and you lose to James Ward, you look stupid. 
So it's he the, should change. No, no. You should you should have less swaggery clothing. When I you will, don't have the results to back I it up. I will say this in defense of the the U.S. Davis Cup results over the last couple of years, which they used to be overachievers for sure. Sure, they early Isner days they really were for sure. But if you look at last year's result against Great Britain, playing on home soil, yes, playing on clay, which Isner I still think was weird, but that's fine. Yes, Isner was hurt. Qu- uh, a courier had to kind of go with what he had. He had query. Um, and that's what he rolled with, and Query got outplayed by James Ward, which could happen at any given tournament. I mean, especially where Sam Query was at that time last year. So that's, I kind of set that aside as a bit of a one-off. This year, you're dealing with an Isner who, let's face it, he is slumping. Yep. This has been a, a really poor start to the season. He was a recent drag badge recipient. He was, and, and, and this was, you know, this has been not a great start to the season for him. And, you know, in uh, there's it's, it's interesting because I do wonder a little bit, Ben, because we have these situations where players switch coaches, yep. they win majors, and all of a sudden everybody's like, that coach, look at the impact they had on that player, and they got them a major. Or the flip side, oh, Andy Murray hires Amelie Moresmo, he crashes out of the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, oh, it's Moresmo's fault. You know, those sorts of things, like the coaches get blamed. I, maybe I'm reading the wrong things, I don't hear that level of questioning of, of criticism of Justin Gimmelstab as a coach uh, that in other situations I would expect to hear. I think that if you're talking about Isner, you have to admit that the Gimmelstab partnership has not been a smashing success so far, but I do think it's also very early to judge. The same way it was early to judge with Moresmo. I'm not going to say, hey, don't judge Moresmo just based on the first tournament and then be like, but Gimmelstab is terrible because he's had two months and hasn't been anything. I will say, though, that it is ridiculous for a tennis channel to have had Gimmelstab calling an Isner match. Tennis is incestuous and full of conflicts of interest. That was up there in terms of Gimmelstad being Isner's coach calling an Isner match. Yeah. That's just inexcusable. If you want to be any, theoretically, being a commentator is a journalistic-ish role. You're presenting the sport and being objective on it. And that was, I think, inexcusable for Tennis Channel. And I will say, I, just to clarify, I don't think that Gimmelstab necessarily should get the criticism. I'm just saying I notice what you said, Ben, which is that like with past coaches, there was a bit of a jumping of the gun yeah. in terms of criticizing or giving uh, um, credit to players or to coaches whose players had immediate results one way or the other. In this situation, there's been kind of dead silence on it. And that's been, a, I'm surprised by that because if the trend is for everybody to jump on the whole coaching angle as like a story, it hasn't been jumped on here. And that's what I think is kind of interesting. There you go. Let's talk about the rest of Davis Cup. Let's see if you have any other thoughts on the U.S. Mm, not really. Okay. Although James Ward, seriously, chill out, man. Like, you know, okay. come on. Go ahead. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, these are two great results for him. He plays so well. <clears throat> Again, a player who's never cracked the top 100. You've got to have a sense that he will sometime this year, but he's just, he's just right outside of it. But, um, you know, I mean, to rally back, you know, from two sets down against John, uh, very, very impressive. Paisley? Thoughts on Paisley? Stupid and sucks. I do not. I am not with, the pay, like, the pro team Paisley. I don't. I just don't. I don't care that it's Ted Baker, and I love Ted Baker, but no. As a team uniform, bizarre. Like definitely. If you're being on a team uniform, you're a clothing manufacturer making clothing for a team competition. You don't want to stand out. You want to be like towing the line. Yes. And also, let's just talk about Andy Murray really briefly. Epic yeah. cheerleader. 
So good. Epic Davis Cup cheerleader. One of the best team cheerleaders since Sharapova is real. Definitely. And right up there with Fernando Verdasco and his hamburger. <laughs> right up there. Like neck and neck. There you go. Like cheese to cheese. Great Britain actually, I think, I think has a really good shot of making Davis Cup final. Uh, they're going to host France next. They, um, they're going to put them on grass most likely. And they are, Andy Murray says he wants grass. Okay. So that's what, he's going to, I think Andy Murray's word is law in that country. And uh, so the French are not great grass quarters, except for Song and Gasquet, who are both a pile of question marks at this point. Um, the doubles is playing well. I think they can get through that. And then they get the winner of Australia-Kazakhstan, potentially, which is a bizarre quarterfinal. So it's going to be a surprise semifinalist there. Good showing by both those teams to pull off upsets against Italy for Kazakhstan, with Nedovyesov beating Fanini 7-5 in the fifth in the fifth rubber. And Tomic and Kokonakis leading a Australian charge against the Czechs who were without Burdich and Stefanik. And it, yeah, as part of what was generally, to zoom it out, a fairly undermanned weekend from a lot of teams. Switzerland, obviously, most prominently. Defending champ going out meekly, although in 5-3-2 five, in five, uh, to Belgium, who didn't have a top 100 player until Gimpy Goffin came in at the end and put them out of their misery. Um... A week, definitely a, a sort of an eye test we- weekend for Davis Cup. You see what you want to see. You can either see competition that's irreparably flawed or one that brings out the best in everyone. And epic, you know, Leonardo Meyer, Joao Sousa, heroics. Something for everybody, I think. Yeah, something for everybody. I mean, I disagree with Ben. I don't see um, Great Britain as my favorite to make this, the final. Um, I think obviously Serbia out of the bottom half will will be the team to beat um, uh, so long as Novak Djokovic is committed. And then on the top half, I see France. I think that France has the depth, regardless of the surface, to take out uh, the Brits. Um, just they're better doubles teams. They're, I mean, even if you give Andy Murray two wins, I think that the the France still comes away with three points. Um, so that's that. Very impressed with Bernard Tomic, I have to say, over this weekend. Yeah. Didn't lose a single set in his straight set wins over, I believe, uh, Vesely and Rosal. Yep. On behalf of Australia, again, Kokonakis, a lot of, you know, two sets to love down, or, yeah, uh, uh, comebacks this weekend, and Kokonakis had one of them beating Lucas Russell in five, and that really, as we all know, that's kind of like the swing point, right? You expect your number ones to win, and if your number two can pull off the upset, that really puts you in great position. That's obviously what James Ward did. That's what Kokonakis did. And and I have to say, I I think I've said it before on the podcast, but I really like Tanasi Kokonakis as a player. I think that while, you know, obviously everybody's talking about Kyrgios and the flash and the charisma and the entertainer uh, in him kind of grabbing the headlines and Tomic obviously being the prodigy that he is and his kind of un- unorthodox game style, I really like Kokonakis as, as just your solid tennis player. And, and the upside may not be as big for him as it is for Kyrgios or Tomic. But in terms of, of just a steady player, I mean, he qualified three straight North American tournaments um, uh, last month, which was uh, pretty impressive from him. And you just get the sense that when he sees his best friend on tour, Kyrgios, doing what he does, and those two competed in the Australian Open Junior Final uh, against each other, I want to say two, three years ago, three years ago, I guess. Um, no, you know, that, yeah. that that's going to light a fire. And it, it seems to have definitely done that with Kokonakis and... Yeah, I, I I like the kid's game. I think he's a nice he's a nice little kid. So yeah, I'm 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 excited to see him do well. You heard it here first, po- folks. <laughs> yeah. Nice little kid. He's a nice little kid. Any other thoughts on Davis Cup? 
Um, no, I mean, I, that's pretty much, I mean, it was a, as, as much as there were upsets, I mean, Kazakhstan over Italy, I really don't entirely understand the decision from Italy to not play Fanini on the first day and, and field Seppi and Bolelli instead. Um, the party line is that it, uh, Bertuzzi wanted, thought that Fonini wouldn't be able to transition from clay to hard courts as quickly as like a Bolelli who'd been playing on hard courts. But I still think you put in the guy who made a final and beat Rafael Nadal, regardless of surface, um, in there. And if, if they put him in there, I, I think that that, uh, that result is a little bit different. But three out of four semifinalists out. of uh, last year, gone out of Davis Cup. And when you lose that continuity... I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. You see no. that in a lot of different sports when there's too much parity. I love parity, but when there's too much parity um, and you lose the continuity and you lose the, the through line, um, it, it hurts the competition. Italy, for me, was the only real legit upset where they brought back their real A-list team and got beat. The other ones, Czechs and Switzerland, were sitting this year out, essentially. They were saying, oh, we're not going to try this year, and yeah. that's what you don't see in other competitions you don't you don't see like a team being like ah eh, we're not gonna try for the end like you the don't Super get to Bowl choose like it's for as much as like we rip on players for tanking matches I mean these are teams that tanked ties essentially Switzerland tank and especially Jan Marty <laughs> we never mentioned on the show before Jan Marty doesn't get picked for singles on the first day for Switzerland and throws a big hissy fit and leaves the team not so neutral Marty they call him not a great look for the old Swiss uh, let's move on to Indian Wells we're here we are wrapping this up on Tuesday. Night and the draws have just come out for the men and women. Let's start with the men because it's up here and we've been talking about dudes. So let's stay dudely for a bit. Novak Djokovic, top seed, um, could play Isner in the fourth round if Isner makes it that far. Isner has Anderson first. Isner, we only focus on him because he was a semifinalist here last year and needs to beat Djokovic, I think, to stay in the top 20 or at least get past Djokovic in the draw anyway. Um, overall, pretty good draw for Djokovic, assuming that. Uh, Chilich and the Tomic isn't suddenly a force we reckon with. I guess Ferrer's been playing well, but Djokovic has owned him. Yeah, Djokovic has definitely owned him. I'm less inclined to kind of write off David Ferrer. I think that, you know, it's hard to, you know, ignore, what is it, a 10-match ten match win streak now? Yep, 10-match win streak, 18-1 on the year, um, three titles, um, full of confidence, playing really, really good tennis. I mean, aggressive tennis. He's made adjustments to his game, so... To the extent that there is a, a Djokovic-Ferrer uh, um, quarter, I, I, I would look forward to that. And I don't always say that with respect to uh, Ferrer matches all the time, but that's one that I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to happening. Uh, let's go to the next quarter. Andy Murray is in here, uh, anchored also by Kenny Shikori, 4 versus 5 section. Also, shout out, weird part, weird, a lot of stuff going on this quarter. Uh, most notably, first round match between Marty Fish, who we're happy to see back. Uh, playing against another wild card, or not against Marty Fish's projected ranking, and then he's playing against wild card Ryan Harrison in the first round, which is a sort of bemusing draw, I guess, on some level. But it's unfortunate because both those guys... Well, I don't know if Marty would be really feeling like he coming here to make a run. I think he's just happy to be here, which is totally an accomplishment given everything he's gone through. Also, we have Fanini and Gulbis floating around in there. Gulbis still looking for a first win, gets either Groth or a qualifier. Do you think he'll get it? That's a great. That's a great draw. Who knows? I mean, it's a great draw, but who knows with with Ernest Golbis? Um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing about the Fish Harrison first rounder that Ben just mentioned is that Ryan Harrison was at the draw ceremony. Um, he was one of two players. Steve Johnson was also there, um, and he was asked by uh, the MC of the draw ceremony, Andrew Krasny, 
um, you know, hey, are you excited to be here to help out with this draw? And he's like, absolutely. I'm just really looking forward to hopefully getting a good draw. I really don't want to draw Novak Djokovic in the first round. That's something that honestly is kind of the first time I've heard Harrison really admit to that, right? Because in the past with his history of really having tough, tough draws and really unlucky draws. I mean, if you were to compare his draws at tournaments, you know, maybe his first like 20, 15, 20 tournaments and you compare them to like Jack Sox. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's different. And, and you wonder what would have happened if he got better draws. But um, when you used to ask him about it, he was like, I want to play the best. You know, I, I want to see how my skills stack up. So it was kind of a nice moment in there. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care about any of that. Like, I, I just want to get deep in the tournament. So to have him draw fish, which isn't a tough draw. I mean, I think that what was frustrating about seeing that as a first round match is for me personally that, that one of those guys has to lose that early. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's a little frustrating. The winner of that, obviously, as Ben said, plays Nisha Corey. Um, but, uh, but definitely an interesting quarter. Uh, the little section up there with Andy Murray, <clears throat> uh, Fabio Fonini, and Ernest Golvis is amusing to the extent that any of those guys get as far as they need to get to, to clash. But potential uh, Fonini, Golbis, third rounder, Murray then would play potentially the winner of that match. Um, and then uh, a Murray-Nishikori quarter, best of three. I'm curious to see how that comes yeah, out. Yeah, Harrison gets Nishikori second round, so it's not like he avoided any major bullets right. here by getting K. In the bottom half of the draw, we have Rafael Nadal in a very cakey quarter, I think it's fair to say. It's soft. It's soft. After his after his Buenos Aires softness, he gets another nice cushiness here, starting against the qualifier or Sisling, then Shardy, who I don't think would play well in these conditions at all. Can that, I just go off on a little aside for a second? Please. Okay, you guys, I need to understand this because this is really, really like perplexing to me. Why is it an insult? Like, why do fans get really mad if you say someone has a cake draw? I, I can't answer that. I don't understand it. Like, if I say, like, if Ben says, this is a cakewalk draw for Rafi and Nadal, like, if you're a Nadal fan, aren't you, like, really stoked about that? Like, should, why should you be mad? And you should be flattered that I think that Nadal is much better than these people. Yeah, no, I don't know. I see this all the time, and people get incredibly angry when, like, they take great umbrage when somebody says their favorite player has a cake draw. I, I see this with Halep sometimes, with Serena fans. Um, I, well, I said the opposite about Serena. We'll get to Serena later. But I said the opposite about her having a potentially tough fourth round against Kerber. But people were like, ha, not tough. They suck. It's just weird. Like, what are you talking about? I, like, I, I just... If, if there's no anybody, pleasing them, Courtney. No, it's not about pleasing. I'm trying to just understand. So if anybody tweet, tweet us, post on our Facebook page, shoot us an email. But somebody please understand the psychology behind being insulted that your player may have an okay path to a deep run to a tournament. I, yeah. I just, that's all I'm wondering. Nick Kyrgios is in the section two. He's looking for only his second career main draw win at a ATP Tour event, which is shocking, giving his slam success. He opens against Kudla, who you think he have a good shot against. Then Dimitrov, then US Open rematch against Robredo, potentially. Then Ronic, fun times ahead for Mr. Kyrgios. Uh, Milos Ronic in the section two. Could possibly play Nadal. It could be a fun quarterfinal. I mean, interesting at least. Not not a comfortable one for, no, I think for that, Rafa. I think that there are some great matches in this section, even if it's a quote-unquote soft section um, as I'm ducking tomatoes. Um, yeah, I mean, you could get uh, Robredo uh, Kyrgios, which is a favorite fun little match that happened at the U.S. Open, so that could be interesting. Uh, that's kind of looming there. But Aronich Dimitrov... Uh, a fourth rounder, I think, is is interesting simply because 
it's hard to know where Grigor Dimitrov is right now. I mean, in terms of his game, it feels like things have stalled out a little bit. He's never really gotten over that really kind of gut-wrenching loss he took to, to Andy Murray um, in the Australian Open fourth round. So that would be a great test for him, and, and Raonic is obviously playing well. And, uh, yeah, Nadal Simon with uh, Gilles Simon playing some pretty good tennis these days. I mean, it's not super tough. It, it could be tricky. And then, obviously, Nadal versus Raonic, you know, if Raonic is having a big serving day, he could definitely pull off the upset there. So, um, you know, a, definitely an interesting an interesting one there. And then the, the quarter below that, you have, obviously, last year's finalist, Roger Federer, um, in a potential all-Swiss quarterfinal yeah. against Stan Wawrinka. Um, which could be fun, and a potential rematch against the one and only, the legend, Andrea Seppi, uh, in the third round for Roger, um, should those two get through. So a rematch of the Australian Open third rounder, which Seppi won to knock Federer out. So an interesting one a there. Tough start to this tournament for Federer. I mean, getting Janowitz first is not easy. If? If he gets by Diego Schwartzman in a tall versus short battle, which is always amusing for me. Um, Andre Seppi, yeah, yeah, not easy. And it's surprising to see uh, Burdich down at number nine. Yeah, I didn't actually. I was thinking about that today as I was sitting in the crowd, sweating buckets, um, trying to live tweet the draw. And I kept waiting for Burdich's name to come out. And when they said, like, where he was seated, I was I was shocked because I'm just used to him being, like, number six or seven. Perennial and nothing below. Eight, yeah. yeah, nothing Maybe below five. that. Maybe five, but nothing below seven. So to see the drop was was pretty surprising. I guess he had Dubai final that he lost. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, British at nine, he it's had a fine year though. I mean, he's not like he's really slumping per se. It's just this time, sometimes sometimes how rankings work. Um, okay, quick big picture thoughts. Who do you see doing well here? Um, I mean, my eyes are pretty much on the big four. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, Nisha Corey, simply because Nisha Corey is in the quote unquote soft quarter with Andy Murray. So uh, an opportunity for him there. Um, but I really, you know, I'm looking at Nick Kyrgios. I want to see what he does after his long layoff. Uh, Marin Cilic, a name that we haven't mentioned, is also back in the, back in the tournament, playing his first tournament yeah. of the year after a shoulder injury knocked him out. Um, so I'm curious to see kind of what happens there. Unfortunate to lose Juan Martin Del Potro. Again. Pulled out of, uh, was granted a singles wild card into the main draw then withdrew, but he is here and playing singles. Or I'm sorry, with uh, he's playing doubles. Um, but overall, yeah, to me, more so than usual, I'm looking at which is weird to say, but like it feels like in the in the past we've been looking at a lot of the underdogs and oh, is this Roundich's time? Is this Nisha Corey's time? I don't know. This this definitely feels like a uh, a Djokovic for sure in the final. And then if it's a Rafa uh, Federer semi. That is interesting. That is a match that I would like to see. Yeah, because Rafa's, Roger's really had a better 12 months than Rafa by far, even though obviously Rafa, Rafa won a slam. But ranking-wise, Roger's got a big cushion on Rafa at number three right now. So yep. that's what I see, too. I see this being a big four reunion. After last year, they had some chaos, weren't Aww. really getting there. Dolgopolov, we didn't mention. He's in that section near Ronich, possibly, as a third round. He made semis here last year. so Not really doing much watch. this year no, or but, in really in the past... Uh, Six, eight months. It's more uh, putting a ranking plummet alert on him. It could <laughs> happen. Enough. It could happen. But he could also refine some magic and make quarters or something here. He, he could beat Dimitrov if he's playing well. Uh, women's side. Hey, ladies. Hey, ladies. Serena. Let's start with Serena. Serena, what's up, girl? You're on the, the top line at the Indian Wells BMP Paribas. First Open. time ever for her. Good for her. Yeah. Speaking of cake, this draw could not be much better for her. First of all, 
the amusingness of having a potential history-making, world-watching match against Monica Nicolescu first. Amazing. Thank you, Tennis. Happy World Tennis Day. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah, no, this is this is a nice, uh, nice section and nice start for Serena Williams, who has really, I think, dominated the conversation um, here at Indian Wells. I think a lot of people are obviously... Uh, looking forward to Friday night, which is when she'll make her debut against either Nicolescu or Alexandra Krunic. And um, I think everybody is just looking and waiting for the reception. You know, I mean, that's the big thing is that everybody wants to be in that stadium to kind of get a sense of, of how Indian Wells chooses to welcome back Serena Williams, who, yeah, I mean, the last time she played here, she had never been a number one. Um, she's only lost once here um, yeah. uh, in Indian Wells. A two-time, you know, uh, champion, uh, all these sorts of things. I mean, it's it's really kind of crazy again to just think about everything that's kind of changed within Serena's career as well as with just within tennis in the uh, the time that she has been away from the desert. So, should be a good one. I mentioned World Tennis Day before we get into the women's main draw. Can you give a brief synopsis of the women of sorry of the World Tennis Day magic that happened in qualifying today? There was an amazing match between Yulia Putinseva and Anastasia Rodionova, which, if you follow women's tennis, you circled this match uh, and you uh, cleared your schedule to make sure that you were available to somehow either watch the match or watch the tweets uh, related to the match. And I have to give a lot of credit to uh, the courtside tweeters on this match, Steph in the U.S., Stephanie Neppel, who uh, did an awesome job memorexing everything, <laughs> um, was amazing. The double bagel, Maria Noble was also out there. I know that there are others, um, I think at AAH108 or something like that, uh, was also live tweeting. But all you need to know about this match, although I'll give you a little bit more detail, is that every single photographer that was courtside for this match, which, let's face it, was like two people, um, came <laughs> back into the media room and like literally like sought me out and were like, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like the pageantry involved, um, gee, absolute insanity, the gall, really, <laughs> of Anastasia Rodionova throughout the match was really apparent, was really something to behold. And um, she basically, um, Rodionova, who obviously has a history of being a bit of a prickly character on court, um, was really just, just woke up on the wrong side of the bed, which is something for her. And, uh, yeah, just was into it with the umpire from the coin flip, um, kept complaining about the ball kids, complained about Putin Seva taking too much time between points. At one point, Mariana Alves, the supervisor, was called to court um, towards the end as uh, uh, Rodianova was getting bageled by Putin Seva. She was issued a code violation for unsportsmanlike conduct. And Yulia Putinseva, herself a feisty character, uh, decided to respond by applauding. <laughs> Amazing. To which the umpire then told Putinseva, you need to cool it with that, and you can't. You need to stop inciting the crowd. To which, and rightfully so, I think, on this, Putinseva responded, like, basically kind of pointing across the net and being like, she's been, like, you know, in a state of histrionics for 47 minutes. Are you kidding me? And you're yelling at me. So there was a lot of that. There was blood. Rodianova at some point started bleeding. Uh, our good friend at DK Tennis, at Ova Fanboy, David Kane. Um, recent NCR guest. Recent NCR guest uh, sent a great tweet that basically called out a stigmata possibility. With, always, uh, always in the cards with Rodianova. Uh, you never know. You never know a self-inflicted stigmata. Um, yeah, so it was epic. Putin save a one. There was no handshake. 
Rodionova did not shake hands with Putinseva. She did not shake hands with the umpire. She walked straight to her chair, packed up, and left. It was the best World Tennis Day ever. And theme. <laughs> so there we go. Um, Serena Williams, easy draw, I think. You see her making it through. I see her making it through to at least the semis with not much problem. Probably beyond that. Sure. Yeah. I think, every, I think once she gets one match under her belt, it'll be business as usual here. I really do. I think the spotlight's there for one match, then it'll go away. Uh, same with a lot of reporters. I know a lot of reporters are coming in for just that one first match, and then they'll be packing up and leaving too. So yeah, it is. It is. It is really the Serena show um, here, and just from a media perspective, I mean, yeah, like all the big guns are sending their big guns and things like that. So Ben and I will be reporting on the smaller stories this week. Uh, one of which, uh, one of which uh, does involve uh, Simona Halep, who is the yeah. uh, number three seed here. She anchors the other quarter along with uh, Agnieszka Radvanska um, in the bottom half of Serena's uh, half, so the bottom quarter. But um, Halep, who uh, reportedly her cousin committed suicide um, back in Costanta, Romania, hung himself is, is the report or the information that's coming through, possibly having some gambling debts or something like that. But um, she just, I mean, I literally talked to Simona Halep yesterday at about noon, on sorry, Monday at around uh, maybe 12.30 p.m. Pacific time, and she was like the typical Simona Halep that I'm used to seeing. She saw me and was like, you again! And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Yep, I'm here. I'm still stalking you. Um, but I, so I get the sense that she didn't know back at that time. She didn't cancel practice, but was back on the practice courts this evening, on Tuesday evening. Um, so that that's uh, that's got to be tough for her. And I'm hearing that that it's not clear whether or not she's going to do all access hour. I mean, there's a mm. lot of kind of things up in the air for her, understandably so. But for the time being, um, she's in the tournament um, with a with a pretty good early draw, but then could get a little bit difficult. Um, she's got a, a, there's a possible Muguruza Pliskova rematch in the third round, winner of which would play potentially Simona Halep, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Their match in Dubai. No, Do, Dubai. Dubai. Yeah, Dubai. in Dubai, uh, Muguruza and Pliskova was awesome, and that's just a great a showcase of the young WTA talent. And I, I kind of want to see it primarily because, and I was talking to somebody about this, this today, about, you know, you have that stretch of February where there are these major tournaments going on, and there are these great matches on both the WTA and the ATP side, but um, particularly the WTA because we're talking premier tournaments, and, you know, most of the players are in action but a lot of people aren't seeing them. Yeah. And these are tournaments that are happening outside of the time frame, especially for America, within which we can pay attention and, and things can be relevant. So I would really like for the world, and especially America, to see the awesomeness of Karolina Pliskova and uh, and Garbine Muguruza to the extent that they haven't. So I'm really hoping that third rounder happens. And to the extent that that match gets any attention when it happens. I know, but at least because it's in America, that it's there and it's okay. happening and... Um, you know, it, it's uh, all you can do. You can't force people to watch something, but you can give them the opportunity to. And the extent that to the extent that everything was happening in the Middle East, that opportunity was maybe not so much there. But um, but yeah, so long as it's happening here, there's hopefully more opportunity. Interesting match also possibly for Halep in the quarters against Radvanska, who's had a rough year so far. But she did beat Halep here last year um, on her way to the final. Great match. Great match last year. And then Halep later in the year was sort of beating her routinely in, in Singapore and 
seem to have turned a corner in that rivalry. We'll see where that we will see where that stands. Um, Carlos Suarez Navarro also playing pretty decently in there, and uh, Bezos doing well, and Be- Georgie walks. And Georgie did beat Sharapova here last year, so quite a few. Bezos walks in to the quarterfinals. Yeah, you think so? No, I don't know. No, okay. I don't think so. But you know what? It's very, very possible because Redvanska hasn't been entirely reliable. She can get blown off the court by a, by a, a goat, Georgie. Um, and then uh, Streetsova, who knows? Yeah, she could beat a Suarez Navarro. She could, yeah, she could be a quarterfinalist here. I don't see her getting past that, but could, okay. could happen. You heard it here first, maybe. And this is where her super fan is. That's right. Uh, we talked about back in episode, God knows what number, during, remember when... Um, when, or no, when Take a Number, I think the Remember When episode, we got Beezus on Take a Number before she really emerged as a, as a relevant player, and I remember a time when someone came up to her after a match being like, I love you so much, I'm your biggest fan, I watch you on TV all the time, and me thinking that it just was not possible to watch. Barbara was all about the shirts of on TV all the time, and now she made it, baby, so good for her, come a long way, WTA slogan, etc., Bottom half, Jeannie Bouchard is in here, still also slumping after the Australian Open, has played uh, first round loss in Antwerp, hasn't played since then, or did play. Yeah, I mean, that's not enough for me to call that a slump. She just hasn't really hasn't been won in action. Well, she hasn't been in action. Okay. Played one tournament. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's. I think this is an important tournament for Bouchard. Um, she's now had the time to, to be working with um, Sumek for a good amount of time. Um, she's rested, can't come in complaining about injury or fatigue or anything like yep. that. Um, so, so it should be interesting. Opens up against either Yana Sepalova or Lucy Radechka. Um, and then a possible third rounder with Coco Vandaway, which could be interesting there. It should be good conditions for Coco here. Yeah. In California, all sorts of stuff. Possibly Petkovic or Cornet in the fourth round, not easy. And then Wozniacki possibly in the quarter. Uh, Madison Keys and Yankovic in there too. Some some big names in the seeds in this section for sure. Oh, it's so cute that you said Yankovic was a big name. Yankovic is a big. She is ahead a star. of Benchich in that section. Oh, Benchich hasn't done anything this year. I understand that, but neither uh, has neither, Elena. Neither has Elena. Don't be biased, Ben. I am biased. I'll tell you more about that later in the show. But yeah, Yankovic can do well here. She's sort of she'll get herself back on track at some point. I don't think she can stay in free fall for that long. She has too much gravity. Let the record reflect I disagree. Okay. Um, let's move on to the bottom quarter. Finally, Anna Ivanovich at number five is in there with uh, Putin Seva showed up. It's possible first round match for her, or second round match rather, after the bye. Caroline Garcia made back to back finals in Mexico, losing both times to Pachinski, who's up in the Serena section, so, or closer to Makarova in there. Good on Pachinski. It's weird having back to back finals. It's the kind of thing you'd think would happen more. And just doesn't. Yeah, yeah, maybe. In most sports, it would in like those more. stretches where you have the same field yeah. moving from place to place, kind of like a Doha, Doha, Dubai situation, or like down in South America, like those swings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's going on there. Uh, pretty easier section of the draw with Lasicki Irani there. Neither playing great lately. Uh, Panetta and Soser. Panetta, defending champion, uh, would get Soser third round potentially, and then. The big blockbuster third round is at the very bottom, watching the draw, which took a long time here because they do all this chit-chat and stuff. Victoria Azarenka could play in the third round. Maria Sharapova. Lots to talk about with that one. Let's just focus on Vikapova. What do you think happens there? I have no idea. I genuinely don't. I mean, I I didn't see any of Maria's matches in Acapulco where she was uh, slayed by... uh, (laughs) Slayed by... uh, 
Montezuma's Revenge, so and had to pull out in advance of the semifinal. So I haven't seen much of Sharapova since the Australian Open final. Um, it, on paper, I, I still think that that's Sharapova's, but we all know, uh, and I was reliving this just via statistics, the uh, 2011 year? 2012. 20, sorry, 2012 year when uh, Victoria Azarenka absolutely embarrassed Maria Sharapova in back-to-back hardcourt finals, first in the Australian Open, then here in India Wells. It wasn't even close. Of course, that was during peak Azarenka, during her streak, um, and Sharapova is a better player now than she was back then. But, um, hey, I, I want to see it go down. I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction on it. I, I, I just think it'll be very interesting, a great metric for Victoria Azarenka. And if she wins that match, you know, I think that it's safe to say, I think most people, I would be, I would be comfortable saying she's back. Yeah. She's back to playing top 10, possibly top 5 tennis because Sharapova is not an easy out. And uh, so uh, you know both women will get up for that one for sure. It's also the first tournament Victoria Azarenka has with her new hitting partner, Sasha Bayan, who I'm doing, I'm doing a story on the two of them working together, which will probably be out by the time you listen to this, or at least sometime Wednesday. Um, interesting move. We did talk about this on the show, the coach and carousel. How funny would it be if Vika picked up Sasha, and now she did? Um, this will be more of an sort of issue or storyline if and when Vika ever plays Serena, which she very well may in the final of this tournament. Yeah, it's um, definitely possible. Definitely a possibility. Um, so that's just something on the radar there. She's got two big, high-profile people with her now in Wimphisset and Sasha. That's a good so, team, though. I mean, I have to yeah. say, like, that's... You, it, you'd you be hard-pressed to find, like, a, a better kind of team. It's a team that I can see actually gelling. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I mean, that those are solid hires and, and a good transition from Sumik. Other general thoughts on the women? Um, I think, by the way, I like Garcia to beat Ivanovic. Sure. Which she did in Monterey also, so... Okay. No reason she can't again. Sure. Let me I mean, one I, upset pick here. I think that there, there are just a lot of question marks across the board. I mean, um, probably, I mean, definitely more so than there are with the men. I mean, this is Madison Keys' first tournament since the Australian Open, so yep. it'll be a big question mark as to how she performs here. Um, as a seed, she opens against either Daniela Hantakova or Clara Kukulova. Kukulova? Kukulova. Uh, Kukulova. Kukulova, sorry. Um, and then could obviously face uh, Yankovic there, and then potentially Wozniacki, which is a player that you know, is the exact type of player that, that causes Madison problems in terms of being a bit more of a retriever, defensive-minded, counter-punching. So that could be quite interesting. But, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to see how Madison does. Really curious to see how Eugenie Bouchard does as well. Um, Ivanovic, yeah, I mean, I mean, floundering a little bit. Um, hasn't really played great tennis since making the final in Brisbane. So for her to be able to put her stamp down at, here at a tournament that she's won. I mean, she's she's had success here. So... She knows that she she can play here. I think that that's obviously incredibly important. Obviously, Victoria Azarenka, keeping an eye on that. But let's face it, the big story throughout these next couple of weeks is going to be Serena Williams and what she does here, um, just because of the historical significance and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, there's some good some good matchups. Said as sure. well. I think this is a term in both men's women's side where the relevant players are coming in here. Playing pretty well. It looks like we could get a lot of them going deep into this tournament. I guess with obviously with the women's the Azarenka Sharapova cluster makes it a little lopsided, but overall, otherwise, no complaints at all. Should be fun times in the desert, I think. So long as this isn't one of those years where like everybody gets Norwal virus or something, <laughs> which has happened. It has happened, although it takes a lot more than that to befall either of us. So we're tough. Cookies. We survived it last time. We'll survive it two There you go. You want to rant rave? We can rant rave. All go right. For it. 
I'll start with a rave, I guess, about what I did today. <laughs> um, you mentioned Elena Yankovic and bias. But really, I should be not being very high on Elena's chances here, given what happened with her today and me, because I was playing in a Pro-Am, which is a uh, Cliff Drysdale-sponsored Tennis with the Stars thing, which I was, which they were nice enough to invite me to play, and so that was great. I, had, I haven't played tennis all year. I really don't play tennis that much for how much I'm in tennis. I want, I'm much, much better at watching tennis than playing tennis. It's just how my life works now, and I don't have that many people who are at home in D.C. who I who still live there. A lot of my friends who I used to play with have moved away. Um, so I don't play that much. I hadn't played since November, and I went out there for this program, first playing with other people, just like other participants, other AMs, and I was <laughs> terrible. I like could barely keep a ball on the court. It was awful. And then eventually they sort of phased in uh, to pros, um, for a sort of king of the court game, Martina Hengis and Yelena Yankovic. And Martina and I were, like, fairly level. There were, you know, she probably won, I guess, like, probably, like, 75% of the points against me, which is, I'm, I'll take it. I'm <laughs> totally fine with that. And then it was doubles. So, so most of the time I wound up getting in exchanges with the pros because they knew me. And so I feel like they were trying to go at me a little more. And then Yankovic was the other one. And I was, like, playing the best I've ever played in my life against Yelena Yankovic. I, like, she hit, like, a backhand down the line. I, like, hit this amazing stab forehand drop volley winner thing. It was pretty great, but it does remind you also, because then I went sort of bigger EXO and played alongside David Ferrer as my doubles partner against Katie Shikori, and I was... I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast, Ben. Who, Ferrer? Yes. Yeah, he seemed like, he was like, yeah, you know, didn't like any of the shows lately. (laughs) And then, but then, yeah, it was terrible. And so, it goes to show again, it always reminds me every time I play tennis that tennis is way harder than we remind ourselves. And these people, obviously, it's their whole lives. I mean... I should not get held to the same standards they do because their careers, they were doing this in the time they were four years old and it's their work, whatever. But it's hard, but it was fun. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to an apology to Elena because she was bemused and confused and annoyed. <laughs> Maybe for confidence, like having me like hit volley winners against her, not the best. But overall, there are some amusing pictures, which I will tweet out at some point soon because JJ lights up a court no matter whether she's winning or losing. The glitter, the glitter remains. She's tremendous. She tremendous. Is. She's a gift. She's like, why can't I beat you? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, Courtney, you have a rant rave. I you do. Wrap up this I, mini ninety nine C. Yes, I do. I have a rave. Oh boy. Um, actually, um, I'm gonna do a point one percent rave just because I want to focus my rave on something else. But um, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, so good. Watch it. Streaming on Netflix. Um, it's the new Tina Fey sitcom starring Ellie Kemper. It is phenomenal. It's great. I love it. Anyways, but my rave is a uh, podcast based. Oh boy! Yeah, it's so um, meta. I know. Um, there's a podcast that's out there called Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. It's a great podcast. Um, it kind of just talks about, yeah, just a lot. It's a very eclectic mix of topics. But um, I think it was either late last year or early this year. He did a five part series um, focusing specifically on social media and on the internet. Um, and so there's these five different episodes and they're really, really interesting for those of you who partake of the internet, even just 10% as much as I do. Um, there's a lot of just very interesting questions that, that he raises, um, some interesting stuff on anonymous and kind of like, I learned a lot about that, about the group anonymous and kind of the, it's super fascinating. He talks to a woman who basically is an anthropologist who kind of embedded 
with Anonymous and kind of learned all of the social uh, norms and mores and rules and things like that. And she wrote a kind of the quintessential book slash Bible um, on Anonymous. Huh. Um, so that was really interesting. Stuff just about, yeah, just how the internet affects our lives and, and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you know, talking about internet nostalgia. Anyway, it's a great five-part series. It's Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. Just kind of scroll through and you'll see it. It's a series that's called The Dislike Club. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And I found I was really riveted by it um, when I was listening to it on the train one day. So, worth okay. it. There you go to wrap up our show. Thank you very much for listening to us, as always, for this one-take spectacular get this out on Tuesdays as per usual Tuesday Pacific time which is fine um, as always you can follow along when you're not listening in whatever time zone by following us on Facebook uh, you can like us at facebook.com slash NCR podcast you can also follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis you can send us emails for future episodes to no challenges remaining at gmail.com and subscribe to us on your iTunes or any other podcasting app of your choice it's cool times to do all those things. And also, if you haven't yet, we have our listener survey, which we're still happy to get responses for. We've gotten a lot of responses already, which are great. If you haven't done it yet, it's still out there. We've tweeted it. We'll put another link in the description to this episode as well. Um, intro, Outro-wise, I was thinking of the song that was on the Golba's shirt, <laughs> Love Hurts. It's in the new Adidas shirt. They're so, it'd be tiring to come up with slogans for tennis shirts, but these people keep doing it, so... Love Hurts. You prefer the Joan Jett version. I do. Why? It's more Because it's more melancholy, it's more sad, and the Nazareth version is just dumb. Like, it's, it's just funny. so over-the-top 80s, whereas, like, Joan has soul. There's soul behind it. When she says, Love Hurts, what jo- what Joan I has, feel it. What Joan has is control. I feel and like... And talent. And talent. No, talent. <laughs> talent, sure. But the Nazareth guy just gives his all on every note there's no note that you feel cheated by let us know please let us know which is the better version of love hurts the one the original by nazareth or the cover by the legend joan jett all right we'll put them both in there and you can vote press a for joan jett b for nat that's not how it works no no that's not how things work just write it out that's helpful tweet us i'm curious we'll see you guys later ciao bye